Dude, I eat too many goldfish. I eat a lot of goldfish. Flavor blasted? Everyone asks me that when I say goldfish, they say flavor blasted. No, I don't mess really flavor blasted because it gets all on your fingers and stuff. But if you get a big box of goldfish, boy. Hey guys, welcome back to Direct a Podcast, episode number 11. My name is Kurt Schneider. And I'm Keena Wetzel. And just like every other episode, this one is sponsored by Eightfold Creative. Today we're going to be chatting with Brandon Dermer. Brandon has a lot of experience, uh, especially shooting music videos. He's done videos for Dylan Francis, Diplo, Major Lazer, uh, just a lot of awesome work. He's got several uh, Vimeo staff picks, so um, he's, he's killing it. And then also he has a show coming out called What Would Diplo Do? It's going to be airing on Viceland. Uh, it's their first scripted television show, so pretty excited to see that get off the ground as well. Uh, yeah, so without further ado, let's get to the call. Let's get it! Hey, Brandon, thanks for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, guys. Cool. Well, uh, I think uh, think a cool way to start this off, start off a little differently. Let's Let's start with what's one of your favorite films and why? I think you can just looking at the music videos I've done um, and also the music that I listen to I don't think I could pinpoint one specific movie just like I couldn't pinpoint one specific band um, if you were to walk into my apartment or my office I'm either listening to like extreme grindcore death metal or like Carly Ray Jepsen just depending on like the day or, or my mood um, and 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 cinematically it's very much the same thing like Two of my favorite movies are the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Wet Hot American Summer. Um, obviously for two different reasons, but in my eyes, or in even like, you know, I could also point to Boogie Nights, but then I could also point to Bay Bay's Kids. So um, <laughs> anything anything that's really committed to what it's doing and stands firmly behind uh, what it is and isn't trying to be anything but what it is, um, I know that's not the best answer. I wish I had like one movie I could be like that, but um, so it kind of sounds like you like self-aware yeah. movies. Yeah, self-aware movies, but like without without cynicism that has heart. Yeah, you know. So so kind of going on that, you seem like you like a wide range of different topics and music and and movies. Is there one place you go specifically for inspiration, or you like to look to, or you find yourself? finding inspiration whether you're driving whatever it, it just comes from obsessiveness i'm pr- i have i'm pretty obsessive uh in general i'm not like ocd in the sense of like turn off the the oven every two seconds or check that it's on i'm obsessive more so when i have an idea or a thought or a song that i'll really let it marinate in my brain till something comes to fruition um so when I'm tasked with writing a music video, I usually just live with the song for as much time as I possibly can. Like if I have a week or two weeks to come up with a treatment, I'll just listen to it over and over and over while trying to be present in my day to day life, both with work and friends and things that have nothing to do with my job. Uh, and then something will just hit part of the great part of this gig is like I have these sort of wild absurd ideas and I get to see them come to life and the music is like very much a driving vehicle for that and that's on the 
on the music side of it. It's the same thing of like when I'm tasked with writing a script for TV or a commercial or a promo, I kind of think of the brand or think of the identity and just sort of keep it in my head, just kind of going. I'm not really, yeah, I'm not one of those guys who really sits down and I'm like, all right, I have like five hours to brainstorm. I kind of let it just percolate and then I jot down ideas as they come. And then when one just won't really leave, I then really explore it. So is is that typically the process for you? You'll get, you know, you have like a, a couple weeks before you, a treatment is due on a song or, or sometimes it's super last minute something comes to you? Yeah, sometimes it's super last minute. Sometimes it's like, yeah, you know, you have a little bit of time. You got two weeks, three weeks. Sometimes it's like, you know, a Tuesday and we need a treatment by Friday. Right. So how, how does that change your process then? I really got to listen to that song a lot, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Sleep with that it. That actually, that that was the case with the Panic at the Disco video. Um, I had like three or four days to uh, turn around a treatment and an idea. Um, and I almost get to that point of like, oh, fuck, nothing's coming. Mm-hmm. And then in the most random of situations, uh, it'll hit. Like I was listening to another one of your guys' podcasts and forget who said like on the toilet. Totally. Yeah. Yep. Um, oh, yeah. That was Sam Pilling. Or in the shower or like that one came from a conversation on the phone with one of my friends back home. I, I recently went through a breakup at that time and everything was doing really well. Like mm-hmm. I had a few projects in development that were actually starting to take off. Um, so when he asked me how I was doing, I was like, you know, works really well. I got this, I got this, but what I was super proud of is my ex and I were like, if we ever want to maintain a friendship, we truly can't talk for like six months, you know? Uh, and the night before I had a couple drinks and I thought about calling her, I looked on her Facebook and like I was about to, but I didn't. And for me, that was like a much bigger, uh, win victory than yeah. anything going on in my career and when i said that to him i was like oh that's the idea you know <laughs> um and it was like the day before the treatment was due i was ready to give up um, <laughs> and it and it hit and so i sort of committed to that idea and ran with it but each each video is so specific as to how the like the necrogoblicon video was like i i had a trip home i'm from chicago um and I drove to visit my mom, who now lives in Wisconsin, like four hours north. And I just listened to their album on repeat for the four-hour drive there and the four-hour drive back. And it was just so ingrained into my subconscious. And then being in Wisconsin, my mom lives in a town of like 2,000 people. I was just like so disconnected from the hustle and bustle. I just experienced life, caught up with family, met new people, just real life shit. And then... uh I found myself at a bar in Chicago waiting for some friends to meet up that I haven't seen in a while. And I had my laptop and all of a sudden I saw this little green goblin who was sort of like anxiety and a hangover and your worst self just personified into a little green goblin on his worst day ever. <laughs> so we've talked a lot about like the pre-production, you know, you're coming and you're finding inspiration. Is that your favorite part about the filmmaking process or kind of what is your favorite part? Do you like shooting, like post-production? Is there one that stands out to you? My favorite, there's like, there's like three benchmarks. It's when that idea hits, when you're like, oh my God, you know, that's it. And on every single project, like, I love that moment. Um, then it's being on set and being like, oh my God, this wacky idea is actually happening. And then the day it comes out, cause you're like, wow, <laughs> everyone's now going to see this thing that I've tried explaining for so long. That sounds 
kind of batshit, you know? Yeah. What's your, what's your relationship like with, with your DP? Are you, do you work with the same DP often? And then in addition to that, you know, are you, are you a hands-on director? Do you like to get your hands on the camera or are you more so just focused on the story and, you know, the overall vision of the project? I generally work with one guy. Um, there's sometimes he's not available and I've worked with other guys and some of those videos, you know, I work with this one guy, but then, you know, for instance, the kill the noise, I do Coke video or the glass ceiling, uh, piece that I did for comedy central that were both very well received with different guys. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I look for sort of the same qualities in the DP where it's, I look for fellow artists, like guys who are going to take my vision and elevate it. Right. Um, I'm not, I'm not technical at all. I probably couldn't even figure out how to hit record on it, on a red or an Alexa, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I'm very much a, I think my strengths are I'm like a writer director. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's my ideas and my vision. And I surround myself with other artists in every department head from my AD to my production designer, to my DP. Um, and I, I hope that I have a clear enough vision that I can portray to them that it inspires them to come back to me with ideas. So I'll have a very distinct way I want it to look, feel, um, everything. And I want competent guys who can do that, but I don't want guys who can just, I, I've described it before, um, as like my, my crew is my band. Like if I'm the lead singer, um, I want my guitarist to be, a guy in my band who maybe I wrote the song, but he's going to make it his own and bring a new riff to it. He's mm-hmm. not just some like studio musician who I hire does it then walks away like for a paycheck, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. So very, I'm not, I'm not hands-on at all. The, the, when I was hands-on was like the early days where like, you know, I used to shoot videos in high school and college where it was me and my friends passing the camera back and forth, which later became what I did with John Lejoie in his early YouTube days. We would just pass a camera back and forth, mm-hmm. but eventually it's like a lot of my humor and I think my strengths, even in my dramatic stuff, uh, comes from the commitment to a tone and a genre. So um, I was like, I can't, I can't do this. I'm not technically savvy at all and, and have no idea how to execute this. So you've had the opportunity to kind of work with some stars and celebrities. Do you think, is your approach to directing you know, talent that's a little bit more well-known differently than, say, you know, someone that you've just hired, you know, that no one really knows on a, a music video or something like that is do you approach things differently? I really just try to treat them like people and like artists. Sure. Um, I, I truly, I want them to be another band member, you know? So I share the script early on. I ask for their ideas, their point of views, and I use the good ones, you know? Um, but I, yeah, I don't, I try not to treat them, I mean, yeah, maybe they'll they'll have a driver pick them up or they'll have a star wagon, right? Like those things that come with that. Right. But as far as like the process of working together, I just want them to feel a part of the team. Well, how how are you able to put together some of those ensemble casts? Like specifically the you know the major laser one that's got like Terry Crews, Nick Kroll, Blake Anderson. Like how how does how does something like that come together? That one came together because, so the way that happened was I did that Necrogoblicon video, which was, you know, I, my, my friend, my friend Randy invited me. He was like, Hey man, there's this band playing in the Valley tonight. Uh, 
the guitarist is an assistant at my company. You want to go see it. He and I just love seeing live music and we always bond over metal. Um, and I went with him and the drive over, we were listening to the album. I'm like, this is either like one pretentious metalhead in a laptop, seven pretentious metalheads. Like, I just don't know how they're going to like recreate this live. It's so technical and shreddy. And I walked in, there was nobody there. Their girlfriends were there. And, um, it was seven dudes playing this extreme goblin metal, but they just look like dudes. And I was so inspired by their commitment to absurdity. That's very much my jazz, you know, mm-hmm. like no matter how absurd the idea is, you execute it with the utmost sincerity. So anyways, I made that music video, created that goblin and it got to Kevin Kasatsu who runs this company called teamwork and he manages Diplo. And he's also like his creative partner. Um, he showed it to Diplo. Diplo tweeted the word Necrogoblicon. A bunch of my friends back home were like, dude, what's going on? So I was able to get in touch with Kevin and he's like, what do you want to do? Let's do something. And I was like, I'd love to do a live action major laser video. Like I look at all your guys' uh, imagery and mythology. It's almost like a, you know, it's a comic turned into a live action, like, or a video game turned into like the live action. I kept right. referencing uh, the Mortal Kombat movies, you know? Um, and so I did that. And they were like, sure, let's do it. Um, and part of that was like, you know, commitment to absurdity. If we're going to make this like supposed to look lo-fi sort of action movie, we got to cast real stars because it'll sell it. So the process of that was like, I went to my manager. I was like, hey, I want to get this to Terry Crews. We sent the song and we sent the link to the Necrogoblicon video and explained that's how Wes found me. Wes is Diplo. And I got on the phone with Terry Crews, and Terry was like, man, I've been that goblin. Like, I've had those days. <laughs> I was like, yes, awesome. And he's like, yeah, man, I love Major Laser. I'd love to be a part of it. And then Nick Kroll, um, I was introduced to John Lejoie because they were on the league together. And John and I um, do a ton of video work together. And Blake Anderson was just like, I'm a fan of Workaholics. I'm a huge fan of Blake's. And I love the idea of, like, Blake is, like, the, you know, the soft, funny guy on the show, right. like, the least threatening. And I was like how fun would it be to make him like some guy in a biker gang, you know? <laughs> and then, so my manager submitted it to his and he, and he was down. And then Lauren London, um, I'm a huge fan of that movie ATL. And she was in that and I was like, oh, she'd be great. The same sort of process, you know, just sent like my reel, the script for the music video and the song. And yeah, they were in. Yeah. No, I think for a lot of these, for, for a lot of these guys, I think it's like, you know, they're on, you know, they all were on TV shows playing a character day in and day out and this is like do you want to come do something fun and weird for a day right. you know yeah yeah it's you you make it a fun experience for them and then it's it's more enticing mm-hmm. so you know some of your videos if you just kind of described you know are kind of out there how do you get yeah. how do you get everyone like on the same page and on your vision in, in pre-production like do you find that to be very hard or sometimes I just got to be as clear as possible. Cause yeah, I mean like even the goblin, like I was like, if this goblin can't walk into a room right now, the whole video doesn't work, you know? And some of the, on the page, it didn't read funny. Like the goblins extremely late to work. We've all been there. He busts into the office. He has a meeting. His briefcase explodes. It doesn't read super funny, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, I have to like, sit with people and almost like turn into the goblin and show them what I'm thinking, you know? And then also explain like, it's going to be, you know, shot really eloquently, even though it's like this extreme metal. So the juxtaposition of those two things will play really funny. 
it's just about having that really, really clear vision and hoping people can get on board. I mean, the Dylan Francis Not Butter video too was, a, you know, a process to get people uh, to really see that the whole idea was just like, we're just amping this thing up each time to a place that's so absurd, but it can't be goofy when we get to that absurd place. Like it's got to just be like, as if this was just a natural progression and this is where we found ourselves. Right. Well, speaking of natural progressions, what uh, what were some of the challenges that you faced in pre-production and in production on that on that video? Um, well, there's a few things. Uh, an, a, band, a, a different artist actually reached out to me to write a music video for them, and I wrote that concept. And I sent it to him, and the band loved it, but the label was like, there's no way in hell. And I was like, God <laughs> damn, you know, I was... Uh, Super bummed. And I actually went back to Kevin Kasatsu because he is this guru with an eye for talent. He's also extremely creative. And I, I sent him the treatment and he's like, I think Dylan Francis would love this. Um, he sent it to Dylan. Dylan dug it. Um, so that was hurdle number one, just getting it made. Because there were a few friends of mine who were like, this is hilarious. You're never going to make it. This is never going to happen, you know? Right. Um, and then pre-production, um, I, I'm very meticulous as far as like, I always leave room for improv and mistakes and happy accidents, but I try to go in with it as pre-produced as possible, like shot listed, da, 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 like go in with a 5d snap photos, storyboard it, you know, the whole shebang. Um, with this one, once we found the house, if you go on my Vimeo, actually, there's a link to it of me and my DP doing the walkthrough in the empty house. Um, yeah, I actually watched that. <laughs> yeah, and we timed it. And then part of the deal was I, I wanted that house specifically. My producer, Michael Long and Batch at Fiction Pictures on that one was great. I was like, I want the house from the Asher Roth Isle of College video because it was a huge inspiration for the idea. He found that house. And once we locked it, I was like, we need a pre-light day. So we shot the video on a Saturday. That Friday, we got in. We built the whole place out um, and we basically for like four hours just did the did the move over and over and over and over. So the next day it was really just about moving the actors around. And I have an amazing first AD, Seth Farley. I do everything with him and his whole team. Um, they they were so honed in on how to move everyone. Um yeah, so it was really about that that day before was like so crucial. You know what I mean? Um, like for instance, like the shot going up the stairs. Um, we originally had this like whole pulley system ready to go, and then as we're doing it, uh, my DP realized he could just literally stand up and get on his tippy toes and hand the movie up to the second camera operator, and he could hang over the banister and pick up the camera. Uh, but that, that obviously saved us like a ton of time and logistics, you know? Yeah, um, no, I, to I was totally, that was one of the things I was like, how'd they do that? Like, did they just hand that up there? Yeah. Um, but, but, but originally we had this like whole pulley system we were going to do like this ghetto rig right. thing. And then we're like, Oh, this is far more efficient. So yeah. yeah, that day was, that day was also so much fun. We were just like blasting music, decorating this ridiculous house and then just practicing. So on the shoot day, it was really like, we just ran, each progression eight times and i would go through and change performances and like little things here and there 
you know, like the selfie girls, like I had to get in her head and be like, you are the worst girl. You're the worst <laughs> girl at this party. Like you are such a narcissist. You don't be like, Oh, and she, re- she was amazing. I I've used her a few times since, but, um, but we were so honed in on the, the shot and the movement that it actually wasn't one of the easier shoots I've ever done on the actual day. You know, I mean, right. it was still like crazy hectic and bizarre, you know, um, but it was great. So there's obviously a ton of talent in that, in that video. Do you have any advice or how did you handle with that many people, you know, in a scene and, and directing all those people, especially with long takes? Yeah. Well, again, it's like the band mentality, like my AD who's, you know, and his, and his team, my second AD, the second, second, they're all so in tune that I go and walk and talk to all the different pocket groups of people. But then those guys have been so heavily involved in the pre-production and I, I, I creatively, you know, uh, I get in their head and they understand where I'm coming from. So each take, they're also pumping them up right before we're about to go. Like I give everyone the general big direction. I'm like, I want this, I want that, da, da, da. But they're also like, all right, guys, here we go. And like getting them in the right headspace. And then also, um, Dylan is such a team player and such a creative partner and collaborator. He showed up on the day. Cause I was like, dude, if you could come before we do the final pass, cause it's going to be awkward for everybody. Everyone would be really excited to see you. I'd love for you just to walk around with me and throw high fives to everyone and just make it a really fun atmosphere because we're going to be shooting something extremely awkward. Um, <laughs> Was everyone actually naked? No, they were all in a nude underwear. Okay. I was going to say, that would be a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of junk flying around (laughs) if that was the case. Two of the extras, though, started to hook up, and we had to put the kibosh on that, obviously. They're like, what the? No, 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 no. This is, no, no, no. I'm glad, like, we're Cupid here, and you guys (laughs) are like, you can go explore this uh, some other time. Not on my set as we're. Wow. Yeah. Did they know each um, other coming in or no? Mm-mm. <laughs> they met on the set. <laughs> That's great. I hope they're still married. I hope they listen to that and they're like, hey, that was us. Remember that? <laughs> oh, man. But um, no. So And, and my poor casting director uh, casting that video, he's like, he's like, I'm just tired, man, after making these phone calls all day, you know, <laughs> like yeah. explain. And for me, too, it was funny. The, the guy in the video. Um, he was the first guy I saw. I'm like, oh man, this, this dude looks like Hunger Games. Like, let's get him. And he was in. You know, I got on the phone. I'm like, hey, this is it. Like, da 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 da. And he's like, cool, I'm in. <laughs> but the female role was harder. And I felt really, even though I know it, it just felt dirty because, like, it comes from a good place. Yeah. Like, the whole You're like, pointing I'm out to, what's wrong with it. Yeah. I was trying to, but, but, expl- but having to speak to these women and explain it over and over. They all got it, but it was draining for me because I'm just like, like I'm like starting every conversation with like, I'm a guy from the Midwest. I, my, I have a very strong mother and sister who I love dearly. <laughs> like, what I'm about to pitch to you is, is going to sound crazy on paper, but I, but there's actually like a strong message behind it. And there were some actresses who were interested, but once I got to the end, they were like, mm, no, uh, and respectfully, no. And right. I, I completely understand, by the way. Um, and then I actually had this one girl cast. And that night before when we're doing the walkthrough, her eight, she, I guess she wasn't totally transparent with her representation. <laughs> and at 7 p.m. the night before, I get an email um, from her representation to my lawyer with me CC being like, A, we don't 
we're, we're not allowing her to do this creatively and B, she's got a holding deal with Fox for a pilot. She can't do anything. Um, I was obviously like, all right, I'm screwed. Um, <laughs> but she was awesome and replaced herself that same evening because she felt so bad. Um, cause I was like scrambling. I was like, Oh my God, like, you know, I've pitched so many girls and, and no one was into it. And then mm-hmm. da, 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 and like, I finally, and I found one who got the joke and was really into it. And it actually ended up working out great. Cause the, the lead girl in that was hysterical uh, yeah. and totally confident in exactly what I needed. Let's transition to the show. What would Diplo do? So mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> how, uh, you know, I, we don't, I don't know a ton about this other than, um, you know, we've seen the we've seen the promo that you did for, mm-hmm. and what was that for? That was for Diplo's Mad Decent. <clears throat> okay. Excuse me, Mad Decent Block Party, which is like his traveling tour that he does every summer. I, I got to say, he uh, he gained a lot of respect in my book after seeing that because he just like completely like it's going pretty deep in on him. You know, it's like yeah, yeah. So I, I'm assuming the show is just that, but m- more intense, huh? Yeah, like crank to eleven. Truly. <laughs> um, yeah, it happened because again, Kevin. Um, he's been Ke- yeah, Kevin's been this very interesting figure in my career, um, where he's always just like he's he's really uh, into uh, filmmakers with a point of view. He's also worked with like Ryan, who I know you guys had on the show recently. Yeah, like. He's got, he, he like just taps in and sees this uh, and really embraces us. So he um, he hit me up over the summer. I was in Chicago shooting. Um, oh, no, no, no. He hit me up in the, the beginning of the year being like, hey, we need a promo for the Mad Decent Block Party. I was like, cool. What are you guys thinking? I don't know. Just think of something. Okay, cool. <laughs> so I I'm sitting around. I'm trying to come up with some ideas. It was just after the holidays when I went home. And some of my friends and family were like, man, you know, like the Dylan Francis video, the major laser video, they like have this perception of what EDM artists are and Diplo being like the poster child is the biggest one. They're like, man, they must be rock stars and crazy party animals. And you know, da, 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 da. And like, they're actually just dudes, you know? So I was like, that was a little point of inspiration. I was like, okay, so if Hollywood or some ad agency was to portray Diplo, cause they're, you know, out of touch, how yeah. would they, what would what would he look like what would he sound like well he first he'd be like yo sub fam it's lit like squad <laughs> and and i was like i don't know maybe maybe james vanderbeek kind of looks like him and then i was like you know james played himself on the b in apartment 23 so masterfully and was so willing to take the piss out of himself i was like maybe he'd be into this so i wrote this i wrote this idea i sent it to kevin and west they liked it kevin did a quick pass on it i sent it to my manager and I was like, hey, man, could we get this to James Vanderbilt? He's like, what are you talking about now? Like, let's focus on the, the other TV shows. I'm like, no, no, no this is going to be dope, you know? Um, <laughs> so he so he sent it to James with my website. James watched it, dug it, and he just wrote back to my manager being like, or his manager wrote back to mine being like, hey, he's into it. He wants to sit with the director. So me, Kevin, and James all met for coffee. James was totally into it. We talked about it. We also talked about the process of breaking the character for the B in Apartment 23. And I was like, dude, I'd love for you to take a dialogue pass at this. So I sent him the final draft file. He punched it up. It was great. We shot the thing. And then I was in Chicago. It came out in like July. I was home because I shot, um, comes out later this year. My buddy, um, Andrew Santino, who's a comic out here, 
he's going to be on that um, Showtime show I'm dying up here. It looks awesome. But uh, he asked me to direct his hour-long Showtime comedy special in Chicago at the Vic, which is like a concert venue I grew up going to. Like the last show I think I saw there was Glass Jaw in like 2006. Um, I'm home and I get a call from Kevin being like, yo, this video is blowing up and Viceland wants to turn it into a TV show. I was like, what? The promo that we made <laughs> with James Vanderbeek? He's like, yeah. I'm like, huh, okay, what's their idea? And he pitched me sort of their jump off point. I was like, yeah, that can actually work. So I text James and I'm like, hey, can you get on the phone with us? We have this idea. And he's admitted he politely said yes because we're like such nice guys, but he's like, there's not a show here, you know? Um, right. But then we got on the phone with him and pitched it to him. And the next day he's like, yeah, this is it. Let's do it. And <laughs> James is a great writer and has been unreal. So we developed a take of the show and sort of the final step was we had to go sit with Spike Jones because he sort of oversees everything at Viceland. So I get a call on a Saturday being like, we need you in New York Monday night to meet with Spike Tuesday morning. So James and I go out there, we sit with Spike and he's like, yeah, let's go what a weird way of for a show to happen. It's like in every other <laughs> project crazy. I have, as I just said that I'm like <laughs> every other project I have is, is such a different process. Right. But this one is so like unique and bizarre. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, it just the, seems uh, like super yeah. organic. It truly is like in the sense of like, even the way like Kevin found me off this metal music video, my relationship to EDM um, and the artists and how I've related to them and my perception of them um, and the world's perception and then James and then James being such a good dude and very talented and a great writer and super self-aware. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> what's the, what's the pre-production process been like, like the writing room and stuff like that? How, you know, break that down for us. How's that, how's that been? It's been cool. Like we, the, the show is different in the, um, than the promo in a lot of ways, which you'll see, it comes out knock on wood, like right in the summer. Um, but basically we have a room, we have some writers, um, myself, James and Kevin are in there. We break story and we get, we hone in on these very in-depth outlines. And then James goes away and writes it. And then he sends it to my, to me, he sends it to Kevin. We give notes, we give ideas and we bring it back in the room. We do a read and we kind of just, develop it from there and then this week you know my ad started um my i guess yeah just that and next week we truly hit the ground running with like my dp starts my production designer starts my makeup artist starts my vfx guys start like everyone becomes fully active and it's really cool because it's like everyone i always work with you know um yeah. everyone who worked everyone who worked on the promo is working on the show and like, it's a DP I've been working with for, I think about three years now, my production designer, we've been friends since we were 15. We played in a band together all through high school. Um, my, my AD is the same AD I've used since the first time I ever used an AD, which was with John Lejoie on fuck everything, our classic fuck everything. Um, <laughs> my, my editors, the editor I've been using since 2012, it's, it's really cool. So we're approaching this the same way we do everything crazy. It's crazy, overly ambitious. Uh, and we're going to make it happen somehow. So how, um, how many 
I guess how many episodes have you written? Like, will you write? You'll have a couple done before you start filming. Or are you going to have the whole season? Oh, written? there. It's already it's all written. Oh, really? Whole thing's written. Right now, we're just we're getting notes from Spike and people advice, and then we're doing like comedy passes and polishes. But we're, it's all written. Wow, nice. So is it yeah. is it airing on Vice or is it gonna? It'll it'll be it on else? Vice. It'll be on Viceland. It's Viceland's first scripted show. Oh, okay. Well, you get the chance to be the first one. No pressure, I guess. Yeah. No, not at all. Kind <laughs> of set set the precedent. Well, it is cool that you have the kind of same crew you've done the music video with. It's that's kind of like how Atlanta was with Hero and yep. uh, and uh, Childish Gambino. So definitely same success. Hopefully, then. Yeah, and I actually I did a pie. You know, what was good training for this was in August. I directed a pilot for MTV. Um, it was, you know, an open directing assignment. The showrunner was actually a guy I've known since I moved out here in 2008. When I first moved out here, I was an assistant to a producer and a manager. And on nights and weekends, I'd be like writing and directing, like trying to do anything. And this guy um, was managed by my boss and he liked my notes that I would give and we became friends. So, you know, cut to, 2015 or 2016 he sold the show to mtv and they were looking for a director and he put my name in the hat and i booked it and it was the this, this same crew i'm talking about and we did it and it got picked up so it's going to series unfortunately i had to step away from it because this got greenlit at the same exact time mm. um so um but that that'll also air sometime this year but it was that same crew the same guys that i work with on everything I mean, obviously, I had to adapt a little, you know. Yeah. Uh, there were certain roles that were already hired before I came on and whatnot, but generally, you know, it was like 80% of my team or 85%. Cool. Segwaying away from that, I guess a couple more questions for you. One, um, you know, it's something I think my, I know myself and a lot of probably directors have, struggle with is kind of finding ways to, you know, fill your time and stay productive between projects when you're in the trenches and in pre-production and stuff like that when you're just trying to think of you know creative concepts and different things like that like how do you what are some ways you found to keep yourself you know creatively productive time management and like scheduling my life Mm -hmm. because no one's telling me to do it and i've i've kind of had this my whole life like in high school i was going to school i worked at blockbuster and i played in a band um we sucked, but we played often <laughs> and I had to schedule that. You know what I mean? I'm like, I got to go to school. <laughs> uh, I have to go work at Blockbuster and then I have to schedule time for band practice slash shows. Um, so, and then, and college is the same thing. I'm going to film school in Chicago. I have a job waiting tables and my buddies and I had a Panasonic DVX 100 a and every month we'd make a short. Um, so it was like time management then. Then I get to LA. I'm swimming with sharks as an assistant, working literally around the clock. I'm, yeah, well, that was everything. But then I'm, I'm scheduling time to write as much as possible nights, weekends, and direct when I can. So it's transitioned into this too. I just have to schedule myself. It's also like I can't work from home. I got to leave. Like if I'm home, I can just you know, fuck off and do whatever. Mm-hmm. I got to be like, all right, I'm going to write. I'm going to go somewhere, whether it's a coffee shop or a restaurant or a park. I just got to get out and separate that. 
And then at the same time, I also need to be really present about like, I need time to play guitar, skateboard, hang out with my friends, hang out with my friends who don't work in film. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm lucky enough that I have a lot of friends that I grew up with and stuff who live out here who are like accountants and just my homies that I can hang with. Um, I think that's very important too, just to have a life because otherwise you have no perspective uh, and you're just like trapped in the bubble of like these projects. And I think you lose sight of the world and then therefore inspiration. Right. So we like to kind of close them on, close these podcasts on what advice you would um, give to somebody starting out. Um, are there one or two things you you know wish you would have known starting out? Man, I wish there's things I would have known like last week. <laughs> I feel like it's, it's just a, yeah. So I guess to that as a, yeah, always be learning, um, relax and it'll all be okay. <laughs> Eleven podcasts down. Eleven in the bag. I thought we'd been canceled by now. I know. But thanks to Brandon Dermer. Really, really learned a lot. Really funny guy. To you guys who want to stay up to date with Brandon, uh, you can check out his work at brandondermer.com. Uh, he's got a lot of his work up there. Also, uh, you can check out his Vimeo page. Um, yeah, that's that's going to do it. Tune in next time. We'll have a new director, some new questions, and new podcast. Yeah, we'll have a. I, you know what? I, I'm gonna go on record right now and say that next episode will be our 12th episode. And you can, Bold. you can take that to the bank. Take the bank. It will be number 12. All right, guys. We will see you next time on episode number 12. This is Direct to Podcast. Peace.